This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Some time together. We had an awesome crowd last Sunday um, celebrating together, and you are certainly a beautiful crowd today. Uh, I want to, so let's go to the Word. Uh, we have been in this series, As It Is in Heaven. This is our third time together through this conversation. Um, I've preached to you two previous messages on this topic, and today I want to continue, and we will finish it up Lord willing, next week, as we move on into the Thanksgiving season, amen? Are y'all ready for the holiday season? For me, Thanksgiving and Christmas go hand in hand. I'm, I'm one that my Christmas tree, Lord willing, will be up this week. I'm disappointed, really, that it's not already been up. I've been listening to Christmas music for about three weeks. Um, it's just, why not celebrate the season more than December? I'm just saying. Um, and, and for me, do I... Look at there, Sister Carolyn. I knew that there was something special about you. Praise the Lord. Hey, even better. Even my Christmas lights might stay up till February, but shh, don't tell nobody. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I love the, the holiday season, the Christmas season. I say holiday not because I don't want to say Christmas, but because I combine Thanksgiving and Christmas into one. Um, uh, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to give the Lord thanks. But I, if I'm doing my job as a Christian, I should be doing that daily, not just that day in November. Amen? So I will celebrate Thanksgiving, and I appreciate the pilgrims and the Indians getting together and showing us how to throw a feast. But um, I'm going to live a life of Thanksgiving, I sure hope, and we're going to celebrate Christmas a long time. Amen? Would you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? We'll begin reading in verse 3. Our Wednesday nights, uh, we just finished up a study on the book of Ruth. I think it's taken us probably, uh, well, I got here in May, and we just finished it uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's taken us months to get through the book of Ruth, and you see how short that little book is. But we have dug into that, and verse by verse, we have picked it apart, and we have uh, dug into it and sought God and uh, bounced off each other and allowed our, our, our iron to sharpen iron, and so we actually have started, after finishing Ruth, we started in the book of First Peter, in this letter that Peter wrote uh, to the church, and something kind of sparked in me this week after we dug into this. I believe we made it through three or four verses, I'm not sure, Wednesday evening. Uh, it's taken us a while to do this because we dig down deep and try to find everything that we can. But something kind of sparked in me as I was preparing for this message, as, as this sermon series has been all about the kingdom. And so I want to read this passage to you, and I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, just for simplicity's sake, I, I love the way that this translation puts these words. It says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire test pure and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There's a whole lot of meat in those three verses. A whole lot of meat. I want to kind of talk about the idea this morning of an already but not yet kingdom. An already but not yet kingdom. So when we found out that uh, we were going to have a child back in the summer of 2012, we found out that a little something was going to come in April of 2013, who would then become a Madeline, and it would be such an interesting life that she would live. But from the point that we first went to the first doctor visit, they put this little thing on, on Micah's belly, and you heard, and my whole life, I thought a heartbeat was, doom, doom, boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, this thing's going, I'm like, what is, what is going on? What is this thing? But to hear for the first time the heartbeat of your child before you have any idea whatsoever that you could even, that you don't see, you have no clue that there's anything whatsoever that resembles life inside of this mother except for, right? In Micah's case, she was violently sick, and so we knew that something obviously was not right, but other than that, the only sign of life was the heartbeat. But from the first time that we heard that heartbeat, there was life. In my mind, there was life before I heard it. But from the point that I heard the heartbeat, I knew there was life inside of her. Right? But that life was not yet actually out where I could visibly see it. Right? So it was already, but not yet. You with me? And if you've had kids, you've been that crazy one that at some point in time got down real close to that belly, daddy's, and you said, hey, 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 daddy's talking to you. And you're talking to your wife's belly, and it makes no sense. But it does because there's something there. And even though we can't see it, even though it's not fully come yet, we know that there's already life that is there in this child. And that is why we have this this debate and this big ordeal and the standpoint of the, the pro-life and pro-choice because we deal with the struggle of at what point life begins. But beyond that discussion today, we know that life begins at the point of conception and the heartbeat is there. There's life, even though the baby has not entered into the world. It's in already, but not yet. So now Madeline is now five and she absolutely loves to ride in the car for hours and hours and hours on end. Not really. And I know you've heard the question on those long road trips, are we there yet? Amen? 
I ask the question. I'm driving, and I still ask the question, are we there yet? No, we're good enough. Well, we ain't there yet. But you're like, why can't we just be there? I, I really hope that we live to see the day maybe when I can get in my little personal family-sized airplane and I can just hit a button and go and fly to Orlando or wherever I want to go, which, of course, would create this intense chaos in the air because there's no streets in the air, so we have no way to govern our direction. But you know you hate to make those long distances, and you always ask the question, are we there yet? Well, in this case, when we look at the kingdom, the answer is yes and no. Because yes, we are here. Yes, we've already received the kingdom of heaven whenever Jesus came. We already have the kingdom living in us, living through us. We've talked about the kingdom in itself is just the fact of, of being ruled by a king, which we live in that. We live with our king to be Jesus Christ. So yes, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. And we are the kingdom. And our job is to spread the kingdom. But we also have to look at the idea that at some point or another, we have to be waiting in anticipation for the second coming of Jesus, for when he takes us in that fulfillment, that wedding day of Christ and the bride of Christ, the church happens, and we then make it to the fulfillment of the kingdom. So, yeah and no. It's kind of already, but not yet. You with me so far? And I hate to wait. I'm, I'm not a good waiter. I was trying to put bubble gum in the orange balloons yesterday afternoon. And Brian was sitting there across the table from me. And I think I had done five. I said, Brian, I understand why I have a job that's something different every day of my life. I could not sit and do the same thing repeatedly over and over and over. I don't have the patience. I don't have the endurance to do this. My little fingers were tired of holding open balloons and dropping bubble gum in the balloons after five or six balloons. And for people like me who don't have all the patience or the endurance, the idea of waiting for the kingdom is interesting. And so... I have to kind of direct my life under the idea, and I believe you probably have already got this and you already understand that I'm living my life to the very best of my ability, not necessarily sure I'm in hope for what's to come, I'm in expectation of what's to come, but I'm not living my life for the day that I'm going to die. I'm doing my very, very, very best to take as many people to heaven with me because it would get really, really, really boring to sit around all day and just hope for Jesus to return. I, I can't do that. That's not my mission. There's more to it than that. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the reward. Peter said in his letter in uh, verse 6, he said, so be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Endurance is required. And so the first thought that I have today for this is endurance. We have to endure. So that the kingdom is here with us today, we have to endure in this place that doesn't really fit, in this place that we don't really belong. We have to go through trials. We have to endure the, the things that are going to come, endure the trials. We have to have the patience to move on because at some point, time is going to collide and what is already and what's not yet are going to combine and the kingdom of God is going to be fulfilled. 
I've received the promise of salvation. I've received the promise of salvation. This was the, the really interesting, deep, deep, deep thought and conversation we had Wednesday night. If we're not careful, we, we think that, hey, at the point of salvation, at the point we accept Christ in, it's done, sealed the deal, and moved on. And one comment was brought up that that's even why we, as, as Pentecostals, as Church of God believers, there's one doctrinal difference that's a little bit different than, than some others. That we believe that at that point when I accept Christ and I begin that relationship, I can absolutely turn and walk away from that relationship. God never leaves me. He never forsakes me. But I can walk away. Just like I choose to be married to my wife and at any point in that marriage whatsoever, that marriage would end if I turned and walked away. It's no different with my relationship with God. I have to endure. It's like a, we actually kind of use the analogy of a politician that has been elected to an office, but not yet inaugurated and not yet put in place in that office. When I was in Georgia, the sheriff of the county was owned by youth board, but there was some cool perks to this. We went and actually were at the, the night that he was put in place as the sheriff, we went and prayed over him. There was a big, uh, big to-do for his swearing in. It was really cool, but Whenever he was elected, there were months that went by before he actually took over his role as the acting sheriff of the county. In those months, he actually went to sheriff school, which I didn't even know existed. That was interesting to me to hear some of the different things. And there's sheriffs from all over, uh, they were all over Georgia there that gathered together from all the different counties. And they went to sheriff school to learn how to be a sheriff. And he did this before he ever assumed his position as the sheriff of Applin County. Not only did he go through the training, but he, he started uh, actually kind of getting entwined with the sheriff's office some. He actually went on salary at some point, and he started uh, making decisions. He started making these changes. He started getting equipped. He started hiring staff. All this took place before the point he was ever actually sworn into that office. And so... You kind of have to, to process this, that the day that he was elected, everything shifted for him. The day that the political race ended, and that was put behind him, this shift took place, and he began to go to work for the sheriff's office. He began to go to work and make decisions, and, and he began to build his people, his team around him. He began to build the, the equipment. He began to equip them for what they needed, but he still wasn't at the point that he was the acting sheriff. Eventually, his position of the elected sheriff finally caught up with his appointed position. They collided, and what he was elected to do, he finally was actually in full authority to, to do his, his job. And as I thought about this idea for you and I and how we are elected into the kingdom, Peter explains this as he writes this letter. He opens up and he's talking to the, the Jewish people that have been scattered all throughout these different places. And he says, you've been chosen. You've been elected by God. You've been chosen by God to be a part of the kingdom. He said, and you've been chosen and here is this great reward. And that jumps into verse 3 where I was reading to you. And that elect word is interesting because it really is who and where we are now. Because we've already received the authority. We've already received the resurrection power. You and I have received the grace, the saving grace. 
But the fulfillment of the law, the, the fulfillment, the day that the judgment finally comes will be the day that the, the already and the not yet collide where we actually finally and that is finalized. Up until that point, you and I have complete jurisdiction. We have complete freedom to walk away from that relationship. You with me? It's not finalized. God's end is finalized. The, seals, the, the deal's been sealed. It's been done. The, the devil's been defeated. Jesus Christ went down and into hell, and he, he, he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's been done. But your and I end has not been completed yet. It's like we have this really, really, really long signature, and we're waiting, and it's taking us forever, our lifetime, to sign our name to this contract and finally seal the deal. The day that you and I pass away, or, or the day that Christ returns, whichever comes first, will be the end of our, our end of the deal. Up until that point, we have to endure. Because if we don't endure and we walk away, we lose it all. It's gone. The promises of God, everything that, that he's promised us, everything we hope for, everything that we, we've lived for up to this point, the faith, the hope that we've chosen to have in him, it, it, the point that we decide, hey, I can't endure anymore, I can't take it anymore, the day we walk away, we leave it right where it's at, and we turn and walk the other way. We lose the deal. We've got to endure. But not only do we have to endure, but we have to expect we have to expect. Verse 4, Peter says, he says, Now we live with great expectation. and We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. When we get to the point that we're so far on the mission side of life, that we lose the concept that one day heaven is coming and one day our, our judgment day is coming. When we, we don't make sure we're, we have to balance. I told you I'd be bored out of my mind if I woke up every morning sitting and just waiting on Jesus to come back. I can't do that. So I'm on the, the opposite end and if I'm not careful, personally I lose the balance and I'll be so mission-minded, and I'll be so, hey, we've got to grow the kingdom. We need to reach these people for Christ. I have to make sure that we're in line, and we've got a balance of hoping for the future. We're living in expectation. This is the mission for this side. You with me? The whole reason that we live this life out of, of doing our best to making disciples, the whole reason we're exhausted and tired and hurting I could hardly walk this morning. The whole reason we do what we do yesterday was for the expectation and the hope that we've got an inheritance. And the goal is, is this is the vision. We know there's inheritance. So all we, if we can just kind of somewhat stir up something in somebody else and say, hey, there's an inheritance for you too. But if we're not living in expectation, then we're kind of missing it. I love when we, when we studied this Wednesday night, it kind of struck me as we were going through it. That this is a priceless inheritance. Everything that we have, that we see, we're in a culture where everything has a price tag. Even to the point now that our families have a price tag. Ask somebody who's gone through a divorce or somebody that's 
having to deal with some child support. Even the things that were designed not whatsoever to have any value on them. Now we live in a culture and a society that we put a value on everything. And so the idea that my, my inheritance is priceless is almost out of the box for me to even think about because everything that we see, everything that we touch has a value. And Peter says that it's priceless. But not only is it priceless, but it's kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I don't know about you, but just in the last... We can go to the last six months. I've seen change in my physical body. It's a fact of life. Everything changes. Dr. Fred Garman, who's leading some leadership training that I've been in at the state office, says, if you want to change something, you got to change something. Which is this really simple Dumb-sounding statement, but how true is it? And in this leadership training, he, he was trying to explain, and I'm going to be honest with you, some of it I was like, man, I, ain't, I can't live like this dude. He said, get up every morning and make your bed. <laughs> y'all miss that? I can't live like this dude. He said, get up every morning and wake your bed. And then he shows a picture of a car that's messy and nasty and got trash all in it and by no means organized, and then he shows the car all cleaned up and perfect and vacuumed. And I live in my car a lot of times. And then he shows a kitchen, and it's full of dishes, and it, that kitchen was just rough. That was almost unrealistic. And then he shows this beautiful spick and span kitchen. And so I have decided... And I believe Michael would attest to this. Since Monday evening, I have not gone to bed with dirty dishes in the sink. I've not. I may not make my bed. My car might not be clean. I'm pretty sure I'm not lying to you. Last night was kind of a blur. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to bed with dishes in the sink. And this man's point that he's making, he, he just said, how many of you, I hated it. The second day he made us come in and sit completely different from where we sat the first time. I don't like that. None of us like that. If I asked you right now to get up and move side to side, 90% of you are going to be like, I can't believe he's doing this to me right now. Because we're creatures of habit, first of all. We don't like change. It's uncomfortable. You wouldn't want to put forth the effort to stand up and move over and flip-flop. Some of you would do it because you have a little bit of respect for me and you would do it because I asked you to, but you would like it. I respect you enough not to ask you to. But we don't like change. And he was even trying to just say, hey, how many of you drive the same way to work every day? Every one of us raised our hand because it is the fastest way to get where you got to get when you're counting seconds not to be late. He said, change up your route. And his whole point was, if you're going to change something, you got to change something. And it really challenged me that for something to change in my life, 
for something to move in my life and in my ministry, for God to move in this fresh way, something's got to change. But here is this inheritance in heaven. And I, I love the way that the New Living Translation put it. It's beyond the reach of change. That means that everything in this physical life that we see, my babies are growing up faster than I want them to grow up. My hair is turning gray. I got to get it cut this week because you can start to see it. Everything in life, my car is getting mileage on it. My tires wear out. This carpet's got some streaks down it where we walk on it all the time. It happens. Change is inevitable. And here my inheritance is, my priceless inheritance, that Peter says, it is beyond the reach of change. That means that what God created for me in the very beginning, before time ever started, in his big, big house full of the many mansions that we have, he created mine from the beginning. Not even, I hadn't even walked into this life yet. And my mansion was created, and it was created beyond the possibility of change. Not only the possibility of change, but the possibility of defilement. That means no matter what my life looks like, no matter how many times I may slip up or no matter what my life looked like before the point that I, I had this conversion with Jesus, no matter what all that looked like, my mansion, my inheritance, my priceless inheritance that is kept there for me is above change. It doesn't change because of anything that I've done. Nothing. One pastor said that you can't be, it was uh, Pastor Eric Petrie said, that you, you think, and, and I really challenged me, you think about it, you can think of somebody who you would say is a little bit saved. And then you think of somebody that's a lot saved. You know just as good as I do, somebody just came to your mind. And then you think of somebody who's not just a little sinner and there's somebody who's a big sinner. And you know just as good as I do in your human mind, somebody just came to your mind. If, if this were the case with God, this pastor's making this point that if this were the case, then as I'm walking down the street to my mansion, I'd look over and see an apartment building and say, God, who lives in those apartments? Oh, they were just the little safe people. It don't work that way. Because if that were the case, then my priceless inheritance would be able to be changed based on what I do in this life. It don't work that way. He said, my inheritance, what he has for me, is beyond change and defilement. Therefore, Mitchell, this physical body, my physical life in this crazy world can make no difference whatsoever on that inheritance. The question is, do I receive it or do I not? And if I'm not living in expectation, I'm not doing my best to endure the trial and temptation. If I'm not living in expectation that this awesome, awesome inheritance is coming, I might give it up. I may forget it's even there. I love the way John said in Revelations, whenever he was walking through heaven, Chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. This is like the second to the last page in my Bible, which I love that fact. Because the end of the book tells me. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, 
Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. It says he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Somebody say amen. All these things are gone forever. I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I'm looking forward with that great expectation of no more pain. Amen? We've got to walk in the expectation. Not only do we have to live in expectation, but we have to engage. We have to engage. Peter said in verse 4, It says, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. I love the, the New Living Translation. It says it's reserved for you. Reserved for you. That's an awesome idea to me. To know that from the beginning of time, God had chosen me, and it was up to me to choose him, and he had already reserved a place in heaven for me. He kept that place in heaven for me. But where we kind of get messed up and where we lose our thought, and I told you I'm on this side if I'm not careful, is that means that every person has a reserved mansion in heaven. Whether they ever get the keys to it, whether they ever get to pull up in the driveway for the first time, whether they ever get to walk in the door, whether they ever get to go to the refrigerator and say, they got one. The, the person that's on the street that's living the life that they're living and they don't know any better, they got one. The person that sits on the pew of the church and they think they got it all together, and they really don't. They got one. From one extreme to the other, the, the rapist, the murderer, in the beginning, there was a mansion created for them. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you so. So me, little old me, doing my best to endure, doing my best to expect I better engage the culture that we live in. And I better tell them, hey, there is hope for you. There's something special for you. I don't care what you did. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. I don't care what was happened. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what's going on. God has a place reserved in heaven for you. You got to accept it. And then they're going to have to begin to endure and expect and then engage. But it's our job to engage a culture that completely wants to resist the idea of God as a whole. We live in a place that's completely foreign to everything we believe. Just the, the ideologies, the, the culture that we live in. You turn on the news for five minutes and you see this culture that we live in that's completely against everything the church stands for. If it's something as simple as the hatred. We live in a culture that's against what the church is for. If we don't engage the culture 
that we're not attempting to be a part of, we don't become the culture. We engage the culture. We, we do something to make a difference in it. We pull ourselves back, remove ourselves from it, and move on. We've been called to go and make disciples. We've been called to seek and save that which was lost. And when we think with a kingdom mindset, when we think with our kingdom mind, and understand that every single person, all 850 of those souls that were here last night, not the people, the souls that were in this parking lot, have places that are in heaven that God has reserved just for them. And if they don't know it, shame on you and me. I got mine. I know I got it. I got to endure. I got to fight the trials and the temptations. And I got to run this race and finish strong. I know all that. And I know to keep it, I got to do that. But I've already got it. It just hadn't yet come to the fullness. But I'm living in what God's given me. So knowing that I got mine, I can't sit over there and just wait and watch this guy waiting on Jesus to come. I live in that expectation. I know that the day's coming, and that's my drive to reach these people. We've got to engage. If we don't engage, nobody ever will. I didn't really have any clue. Pastor Amber spoke this into me last night. She didn't have a clue what she was doing. She said, just preach tomorrow what you have planned tonight. No, it ain't going to work. This is where I was at, though. David was anointed king of Israel. At a point when he was a young boy, the shepherd in the field, Jesse didn't even think that he had it in him to be a king. And he was anointed king already, but not yet. See, you and I have already been anointed as king and queens. We've already been anointed as the king's kids. Already, but not yet. And so here's David walking through this life. And the story of David is just remarkable in itself. And there's all these different aspects. And he's protected his flock. And he's conquered crazy animals with crazy tactics. And he finds himself one day on the battlefield. And you know the story as well as I do. He finds himself on the battlefield and the giant stands up before the army of Israel and every one of them sit back and wait. They're terrified. They ain't approaching him. And little old David, who's been anointed here, but he hasn't in his fulfillment yet. He walks and says, what y'all doing? 
How are you letting him defile God like this? How are you going to let him defeat you? Don't you know God's on your side? And little old David in the anointing, this was my, my message last night, was the, the, Saul tried to put his armor on him. He tried to make him somebody that he wasn't. And we want to wear these costumes and we want to try to be somebody that we're not. And you and I walked in probably with a smile on our face this morning. No one's going to know where your back and your feet hurt. We, we walk in and we put on these costumes, these masks, whatever it is. We can't be that. To fight the battle that God's called us to fight. we got to be us and walk in his anointing. That was last night's message. Today's message is, David walks up and he says, why are you doing this? What are you doing? I'm going. I'm willing to go do it. No, I don't fit on the battlefield. No, I don't belong to take down the giant. But I'm willing to engage this enemy. I'm willing to engage what God's put before me to defeat him for this army of Israel. He wasn't the king. He had been anointed the king. He was in his already, but he was absolutely not there yet. And in the middle of that journey, in the middle of that span where he was, he was already anointed, he knew what was coming. You and I know what's coming. We're going to glory. We're going to receive our crown. We're going to walk in our mansion. I believe that I'm going to get to go to a big old fishing hole full of largemouth bass, and I'm going to catch all I want to. Of course, while I'm worshiping Jesus, I'm just being honest with you. I know it's coming, but I ain't there yet. And while I'm right here, I better walk in what God's given me to walk in. And I've got to engage in what he's put before me to engage in. Because there's a whole army of people standing behind me that ain't doing nothing. All it took was one little rock. The rock won't even mean it's a weapon. The slingshot and the stones were more so meant to knock the sheep in the head to get their attention so he could call them back. He carried his rod for defense. He simply used the tools that God had supplied him with. It wasn't nothing miraculous. It wasn't no absolute special thing that he had that nobody else did. He was a common shepherd. He used his tools as a common shepherd that he had to engage and defeat the culture that God had put before him. It ain't, it ain't my job by myself, and it ain't nobody else's job by ourselves. You got the same tools I got. It's my job to pastor the pastors. God has given you what you need to go into the culture and engage the culture. And here we are. There was a story told of two little fish. Swimming on the sidewalk at the bottom of the sea. And this big fish went by and said, how's the water today? And they look at each other and say, what water? Because they were so lost and in their own little world, they didn't have a clue what kind of culture they were even living in. And if we're not careful, we get so lost in what we're comfortable in. We, we are lost in these four walls and we miss the culture God's called us to engage. We got to endure. We better expect. We got to engage. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I've delivered this word to the very best of my ability at the way that you've given it to me. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word this morning. For your revelation, for your direction. God, I thank you that we're living 
in expectation that there's a priceless inheritance waiting for us that can't be defiled. It can't be given away to somebody else. Father, it's reserved just for us and it's beyond the state of change. God, I thank you that you've reserved that place for me and no matter what my life may have looked like before you came into it and no matter what it may look like and no matter how I may fall and and fail you, Lord, I thank you that that doesn't change the inheritance you have for me. God, you've called us to endurance. You've called us to run the race of endurance and finish strong and stay steadfast. God, and I pray that you give us the strength to do that. But all that leads to the engagement of this culture. Give us a heart for it, Lord. Touch us, Lord. I want to ask just a simple question this morning, and I believe that all of us are, but if if you're living in expectation of the promise this morning, of your inheritance. Would you come and let's stand around these altars for just a couple minutes? You're living in expectation of your inheritance. You know that God's got something for you. You know it's yours. You know it's priceless. We're going to go through this prayer in the same sequence the sermon was. And we're going to pray that God would give us the strength and the boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit to endure what he's called us to endure. And then we're going to pray that as we're enduring, we're going to celebrate what we can expect. We're going to have a a, a minute of thanksgiving and thankfulness of who God is and what he's given us in our inheritance that's one day to come. And then we're going to pray that God would convict us and use us and direct us to engage this culture. That's how we're going to pray. So let's pray. Father, God, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we walk through day to day, God, as we walk through this life that we're just foreigners in, God. Lord, this life that we're aliens living here on this earth, God, this, this world place, God, that we as part of the kingdom are not even designed to be a part of. God, that just means we have to face t- trials and temptations and struggles and heartache and pain and fear and sorrow, God. We have to face death. <clears throat> God, and through all of that, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you give us the courage and the strength, the boldness, Father, under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit to endure what you've called us to endure. God, give us the the strength. God, give us the vision, Lord. Give us, allow us to see an end that we would have this place that we can endure to, Lord. Allow us to see the, the end of the race, knowing that we're running with everything we have in us, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, but staying focused on who you are to endure to the end. God, we take just a moment to thank you Lord, for what you've prepared for us. God, that the day that time collides and are already and not yet meet, Father, Lord, you've prepared something for us, God, that is so great. 
God, and we take just a minute and thank you, Lord, for your grace. And it's only by your mercy and, and your grace that you have for us that we can even look forward with great expectation to such an inheritance. God, and we thank you for that. We worship you, Lord, that you looked down on us while we were still sinners. And you looked at us and you sent your son for us. That we would even have an opportunity to, to step into that inheritance one day. God, I thank you for the call to engage. I thank you for the call to the mission. The call that you've placed on our lives as individuals, God. The call that you've placed on this body as a church family, Lord. To engage this culture. Lord, that when the whole army would want to stand behind us and nobody would want to do anything, little old us, little old me, God, simply using what you've given me, God, simply using the tools, the gifts that you've blessed me with, would engage what you put in front of me. Walking in my anointing. God, walking in the gifting and the calling which you've put on our lives. Lord, allow us to have eyes to see. Allow us to be kingdom-minded, that we would see the things that you would have us to see, that, that we would begin to see the things that we are to engage. Lord, and give us the boldness to step out just as David did on that battlefield. To take down those giants of this culture that you put in front of us. Whether it be something so small, or whether it be something that's great in our, our eyes. Father, allow us to conquer and engage in this culture. I thank you, Lord. 